We have been in a a series uh, for a number of weeks called The Superheroes of the Faith. And as we have uh, started this series, we really have focused it on Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a passage of scripture that lists the heroes of the faith, uh, the, the men and women that are in like the faith hall of fame. And if you look at the verse of scripture, it says, after he walks through a lot of these heroes of the faith, he then comes back and he says, and what more shall I say? For time would not fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Yes. But now one thing's underlined, and that is stopped the mouths of lions. And so when you think about somebody that stopped the mouths of lions, who do you think of? Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. Okay, good. All right, let's just close in prayer. All right, now, we think about that story. And he says, because Daniel is a prophet, and he talks about, and the prophets, and he begins to list these things, and he says, who stopped the mouths of lions. And so I want us to look at the story of Daniel, and the story of Daniel and the lion's den, and it's found in the book of Daniel. If you'll turn to the book of Daniel... Go to chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6. And in Daniel 6, you began to recount what took place with this particular story. However, I need to give you a little bit of background to get you up to the point to where we can understand this story best. Um, There is a, I'm going to put a map up, David, if you could. This is uh, a little bit of a history lesson that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, Babylon down over here, and what happened was the Babylonians came and they took over Israel and they captured uh, the folks in Jerusalem. And one of the things that they wanted to do was they take the youngest and the brightest, sort of like the best teenagers that were there in Israel and in especially Jerusalem, and they took them and then they traveled and brought them home quite a route to get them home. They took him up through Israel and Lebanon, all the way through Syria, around the edges of Turkey, all the way until what we see is today is uh, Iraq. And in fact, Baghdad's about about 50 miles north of of Babylon. And so as they they traversed this and they brought these young men, they put them there and they began to train them in the ways of the Babylonians, hoping they could be future leaders. But one man stood out, and that was Daniel. And Daniel stood out, and he did a number of things that were strong and in leadership. But one of the main things was that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that no one could interpret. Daniel interpreted the dream, and it so blew him away that he said, Do you know what? I'm going to put you in a leadership position to be over the entire province of Babylon. And so here he is, Daniel, and we're just going to guess. Let's say if Daniel was 18 years old when he came over here, it says two years later he was ruling over Babylon. So he's about 20 years old. So he ruled in Babylon when all the Babylonian empire was at its height. And that worked for about a little over 60 years, maybe about 65 years. Then all of a sudden we have another king from another area, and we get the Medes and the Persians. There's a man by the name of King Cyrus. 
And he comes from the Media and Persia, this group here, and they came over and they took over Babylon. And now you begin to see the Median Persian Empire that begins to grow. And so when Cyrus took them over, he put a man by the name of Darius to be over Babylon. And he said, this king will be in charge of, of Babylon, and then you, you rule it. And you figure out how you best want to rule that. Well, this is where the question comes in is, so what about Daniel? At this point in time, Daniel is in his 80s. Could be mid-80s for all we know. And so what will he do? Will he be a part of this organization, a part of this government, or not? That's where you pick the story up. So if you look in the first chapter, excuse me, in the sixth chapter, looking at the, at the first verse, it said, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And then over them, there were three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. The satraps were what they called protectors of the kingdom. They worked for the government. And they had 120 of those all over the kingdom. And then they reported to three men, three different men who were called presidents. And what they would do is they would oversee all the tax revenues that came in to make sure that nobody was getting cheated. Nobody was, was trying to slip anything under the table. And they were to look over those 120 who were down there doing a lot of the hands-on ruling of the people. So see the organization. You've got the king up here. Then we've got three, we'll call them administrators, presidents. And then you've got 120 satraps over there. Now Daniel was one of those three. But there was something a little special about him. Because it says in verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So we got three in there. But now all of a sudden he says, Out of all these three, Daniel, you're the best of the three. And I'm going to give you some additional responsibilities because of your excellent spirit. New International Version says because of your exceptional qualities. An exceptional man for 60-something years working in the government. New regime comes in. They begin to look around to see who will we put in leadership. And there's a guy that's been there for over 60 years. And so as he comes in and Darius is working with him, he says, man... I can see why, they, why you were ruling over Babylon. He says, I want to keep you in my organization. In fact, I'd like to elevate you to be over these others. Then in verse 4, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now this is amazing. This is amazing. What it is, is these men are trying to find some dirt on Daniel because they want to get dirt on Daniel so that he cannot move to this new position because they don't, they don't want to be working under him. And so they're looking for something and it says that they could find no fault in him. I just think of all the records they had, 60 years of working in the government, 60 years, and they could find no fault. 
And they checked all his Facebook paste, uh, postings. They checked all his Twitter account, all the tweets he sent out. Uh, they went to his, the websites to find out what he was accessing. And everything they went to, they could find absolutely no fault whatsoever in Daniel. This is incredible. This man in 60 years of work has an integrity beyond question. Just a word to the senior adults. You know, a lot of times we look at this story, Daniel in the lion's den. We always think about some young guys down there getting thrown in the lion's den. This guy's in his mid-80s, and he's still going strong. I tell you all something else about him. He's in his mid-80s, and, and they can't find anything wrong. I see sometimes when we get into that stratosphere and we start getting into the 80s, sometimes we think that, you know what, I've accumulate enough spiritual capital that I don't need to really continue to keep living for the Lord. I can take some time off. He didn't feel that way. Every day he was living for the Lord and every day he was a man of integrity and a man they could find no fault in him. So as these people scoured everywhere to try and something negative with him, all of a sudden they came together and said, we got it. There's only one way that we can ever get Daniel and it's his religion it's his faith in god verse five then these men said we shall not find any ground for complaint against this daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his god he is such a a, a strong believer in his god we have got to find something that will um uh, that will cause a problem with that that will conflict with that and when we do then i think we can get him so they came up with this ingenious idea, starting in verse 6. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement, it means they all agreed to do this, to the king, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. He likes that, okay? The king likes that. So whenever you go to the king, you just say, O King Darius, you live forever. Because you'll see them say this a number of times. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you O king shall be cast into the den of lions well now first of all they're stretching the truth because he says all the presidents of the kingdom agree with this and that's not true because naturally they didn't run it by daniel because he would not have been in agreement with this and they said king I know you're new here. We've just been together for a short while. We've all gotten together. We've talked to all these different people that you've assigned, and we've all come to this agreement to show unification of the new government. What needs to happen is for 30 days, for the next 30 days, nobody would worship their God, whatever God it is. They would have to come to you. They bring all their requests to you, and then you can take it up to, to whichever God it is. But they have got to come to you for 30 days. We'll do that. Oh, and just to put in the incentive plan, if somebody does not do that, then we're going to throw them into this den of, uh, of lions. Now, history tells us that they would capture lions and they would place them in one of these big old pits. And as they place them in the pits, every so often when people, that was kind of their way of capital punishment. <laughs> you mess up. You see the lions, and they throw you down in the lion's den. And it's kind of short, it's sweet, there's no cleanup. And, and, and that, that's just kind of the way they work. And so they said, well, why don't, we, why don't we use this? 
And we use this as a, uh, as a motivator to say, if anybody doesn't do this, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, verse 8. So now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians. What that means is it, you can't revoke it. It means once it's down, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, it's down. There's no appeal. You can't change it. It's done. I said, okay. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. I mean, these guys came to him, and uh, they, they sold him a bill of goods. Tell him about how, what a great idea this was, unify the kingdom, and everybody would see him as this great deity for these 30 days. And he said, sign it, and he did. Now, this story, this encounter, this historical recollection of what we call Daniel in the lion's den is not something that came about because of, uh, because of his religion, because people were trying to take away his religious liberty. Not at all. That was the only thing they saw that they could ever take him down with. This is really a story about a man who did right. He was faithful to the things of God. He lived as a man of integrity. And even in living as a man of integrity for all those years, there were people that didn't like it. Which means just by you always doing what's right doesn't mean that everybody's going to like it. Now, I don't know. The story doesn't, uh, when you read Scripture, doesn't tell us why these people wanted to get rid of him. I'm just going to make an assumption. These are the people that would have to work under him. They knew his track record the last 60 years. And because he was a man of integrity, because he was a man that says we will do everything right, if you are working there in this government and you'd like to get some things under the table, you'd like to try to make a little extra money by doing some shady things on the side, you can't get away with that whenever you're working under Daniel. But if we could just get Daniel out of the way, then that opens the door for us to do a bunch of things that we haven't been able to do before that um, it's not right, but it sure would pad our wallets a little bit. That's just a guess. Because the guy's in his mid-80s, it's like, hey, we could just, we could wait and live him out for a little while. But they wanted to go and get rid of him. And they just didn't want him to get a retirement party. They wanted to kill him. They wanted him to go and to die. And so the king, he signs this injunction. Well, once the king signs the injunction, then all of a sudden word begins to get out. In verse 10, it says, and when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, what did he do? Did he go to the king and appeal? No. Did he go and he hide? No. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Didn't change a thing. This guy's in his mid-80s. He says every day, three times a day, I go up into my house, and I've got this upper chamber. I open up the window, and I face Jerusalem, and I pray there. Because when they built the temple, King Solomon told his people, you need to pray towards Jerusalem, pray towards the Jerusalem uh, where the presence of God is. And so three times a day, he would do that. He'd open it up. 
He wasn't doing it for show. It's what he'd done for over 60 years. And so the document comes out, and it says that, that anyone who is caught not praying to the king but praying something else will be thrown in to the lion's den. And what he did was he said, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. And he said, I began to think about that, and I said, you know, 30 days. Couldn't you have had your quiet time right by your bed and not opened up the, the windows? You know, you could have prayed while you're eating your bread and hummus in the morning or something. And, uh, and then at lunchtime, you could have had your little prayer there in your room. And at nighttime, when the lights went out, you could have had your prayer on there. Or some of us would say 30 days. You've gone 30 days without praying, right? <laughs> Maybe you could go 30 days without praying. Just let this thing pass. But he didn't. So why didn't he? Well, in my mind, he's been doing the same thing for 60 years. People have seen him. And they know that. And they know his commitment to God. And if all of a sudden, on that Monday morning, you're so used to walking to work and seeing him up there praying, all of a sudden he's not, and you saw the edict, what would you think? He's given in. He's going to give in. And so we can prove, well, guess for the next 30 days... He's either going to be sending all his requests to the king and all this stuff that he's been talking about. His God must not be right. He wasn't going to let that happen. He says, I have been a man of faith, and because I've been a man of faith, God has blessed me in a great way. Now I'm going to continue to be a man of faith, even though I might lose my life and lose my position, I'm going to do this. But I've got to choose between loyalty to my Lord or obedience to a sinful government that was commanding him to perform idolatry. And he says, I've got to commit to my Lord. He continued to pray. Well, all he had to do was pray for one day because the little spies were out there and they saw him and they took some pictures on their cell phone and they came back over to the king and they said, hey, we got evidence. And look what they said, verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And it's interesting that in his prayer, he was thanking God. I mean, here he's giving thanksgiving to God when he knows he's probably getting ready to be arrested and thrown in the lion's den. And then it says, that Then they came near, and they said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, yeah, the thing stands fast. According to the law, the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked. King feeling pretty good about himself. Then they answered and said before the king. Now, this is where you, I think you get an idea as to what their motives were. Listen to how they describe Daniel. He's been there over 60 years. He's been the leader of the province. He's been one of the most respected men in the area. And they said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Just reminding you, he's not one of us. He's not a Mede, he's not a Persian, he's not a Babylonian, he's an exile from Judah. He pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. Now, if it was just once, he may have been a slip up. Three times a day, you know what that means? It's in your face. He is in your face, king. And he is telling you, he pays no attention to you, has no respect for you, and you know the injunction that's been signed. It's time to take him down. Verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver 
Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Okay. Now the king realizes what has just happened. You see, just what has happened is that I've, I've kind of been rooked into this thing. And now I've got my favorite man, my number one man, Daniel. He's going to be my right-hand man. He has done this praying when you're not supposed to. And because of that, he's got to be thrown in lines then. Now, according to the law, that whenever somebody violates the law, you have to carry out that punishment before the day ends. And so from that morning until the sun sets, the king was trying to come up with some loopholes to get David out of that. There has to be a way. I can't just see, he's probably bringing some of the smartest men around, bringing the lawyers around, talking about the, this law of the Medes and the Persians thing. Is there a way to get out? Is there a, a loophole here or not? And as soon as the sun set, guess who showed up? Those same guys. And when the sun went down, it says in verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. We're just reminding you, you can't be changed. This is it. you got to carry out the sentence. And so reluctantly, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought, and he was cast into the den of lions. Now, as he was brought, and they would take him, they would have to lower him down into this pit. It says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. He doesn't even know Daniel's God. He's just heard Daniel talk about it. He's watched his life over the short time they've been together. And he's hoping that this God will deliver him. And a stone was brought and it was laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. You put the chains over the top. And when you did that, you took this soft clay and you put it on both sides of the chains. And while the clay was soft... The king would take his signet ring along with some of the nobles and they would put their uh, impression in that clay. And then the clay hardened. And what it meant was the king is telling you, don't mess with this. And if the seal is broken, you'll be killed. Just another uh, motivational thing for you not to mess with this. So it was hopeless. Laid him down into a den of lions put the chain across the top, sealed it, say, no one break it. And that's where he ends up. And then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No, no diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. Uh, they tried to bring entertainment to him. He didn't want to deal with any entertainment. There's nothing that he wanted to do. And he just sat there and he tossed and turned all night. Now, it's really interesting. They put a seal on there. And when they put the seal on there, it's like the ultimate of hopelessness. Nobody can save him now. There's somewhere else in Scripture where people put a seal across a rock. Do you all remember what that is? Anybody? The tomb. When Jesus had died, prepared his body, they placed it in a tomb. And to make sure that no one stole, they rolled the big stone away. And then Pilate put his seal on there. And it was to scare anyone from coming into breaking that down and so again they put a seal there and in the, putting the seal there to scare anyone from coming to try to free Daniel because you know he had to have a lot of friends on there the king couldn't sleep at night he's getting ready to see what happens in the morning 
I'm just going to tell you some good news, and that is no matter what man plans to do, God will always accomplish his will. No matter how hopeless it may be, no matter how much the deck may be stacked against you, God will accomplish his will and his plan. And in verse 19, it says, Then at the break of day, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where David was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Okay, now he ran over there in haste. There was a little bit of expectation. But then there was a lot of doubt because it says the voice was one of anguish. And he says, you know, did your God deliver you? And you kind of wonder what you're going to hear. Then all of a sudden, verse 20, excuse me, verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. He loves that. He loves that, O king, live forever. Okay? And so Daniel comes to him and says, O king, <clears throat> live forever. I'm supporting you. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Amazingly, that in the night, that when he dropped Daniel down there, he says that an angel came and he just shut the mouths of the lions. And he not only did he shut down their mouths, but he also did something to their claws because they could have ripped them apart, and they didn't do anything on that either. And so he just sedated these lions. And so he spends the whole night in there. Next morning, they pull it up. He's still alive. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. There was no scratches. There was nothing there. No harm. And the reason there was no harm is says because he had trusted in his God. Now, some people, it's interesting, and you've even read, there'll be some commentaries that say, well, those are some old lions. You know, they were like toothless lions. They were like the lion and the Wizard of Oz. Um, they were full because they'd eaten a hearty meal, and so they didn't want to do anything to Daniel. Well, that's a, you can guess that, but again, verse 24 sort of nips that in the bud. It says, and the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Stick with me, folks. They, their children, and their wives. Back then, the whole family suffered the punishment for the crime. Boy, I bet there was some mean talk heading down that uh, thing from the wife on that one. And it said here, it says, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. Apparently, they got their appetite back pretty quick. These are some ferocious lions. And as soon as they threw them down there, before they even hit the ground, they're overpowering and they're, and they're destroying them on there. And then King Darius wrote, and this is amazing. This is a pagan king, and this is what he writes. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to no end. This is a pagan king sharing this. 
He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, in this encounter, you understand that David was a superhero of faith. And the reason he was a superhero of faith is because of his consistency. Now, I want you to write, just on your sheet of paper, I want you to write consistency. Consistency. What God asks each of us is to be consistent in our, in our walk. And this is what set David apart from everyone else. Let me give you just about three things to write down here. Number one, consistency happens when you embody your convictions. Consistency happens when you embody your convictions. And the word embody means to make something tangible. It means it's a visible form of something abstract. You tell me what you believe, how do I know what you believe? You embody that conviction and you live it out. Over and over, if you reread chapter 6, over and over it talks about how he was consistent to where they said continually you serve your God. You prayed three times a day as was his habit. This is what he constantly did. How did those men know that he would pray three times a day? Because he'd been doing it for 60 years. How did those men know that the only way they could trip him up was to try to do something that would conflict with his faith in God because of his consistency in his living? And it was his consistency in his living that gave him the respect of all the people. It was consistency in his living that when this king, this foreign king, comes and he takes over these people, he looks to this guy, he's in his 80s. It's like time to let's move him out and get some young blood in. But he gave him a little bit of time, and the more he talked to him and he saw him, there was a difference in his life. And he says, not only do I need to keep you here, I need to make you my right-hand man. Because what was happening was he was embodying his convictions through daily living. What we are to do is we are to take the teachings of the Bible and you are to live them out. Your life is to be a commentary on God's word. Your life is to be an example of what God desires in our lives and what God teaches in his word. That's the way our lives are supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to be like. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live a life to where when somebody came to try to dig up some dirt, they couldn't find any because we're being faithful to the things of God. He wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. He was doing exactly what God said that we need to do. And that's the life that he was living. Consistency makes you embody your convictions. The Bible talks about how Jesus got up early in the morning and prayed as was his custom. In Luke 9, 23, he says that you are to take up your cross daily and follow me. It's an everyday thing, folks. And if we could strive for consistency, then we would truly be a superhero of the faith. The test of a genuine faith is a God-honoring consistency in your life. It's the way you conduct your business. It's the type of entertainment that you indulge in. It's the way you spend your money. It's how you respond to the needs that are around you. It's how you react to those people who offend you. How are we doing? Are we living these Christ-like lives? Are we taking our faith and we're embodying it and we're living it out? That's what consistency does. Second of all, consistency strengthens your witness to others. Consistency strengthens your witness to others. When you and I are consistent in our life, in our Christian walk, 
all of a sudden, it gives us a, a, an amazing ability to be able to witness to others. The Apostle Paul talks about this. He wrote to Titus, and, uh, and is this young believer, Titus 2, 6 through 8. Look what he says. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely in all they do. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good deeds of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Let your teaching be so correct that it can't be criticized. Then those who want to argue will be ashamed because they won't have anything bad to say about us. Be consistent. 1 Peter 2.12. Peter, writing to the church, says, Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. Be careful how you live. It strengthens your witness. One of the great martyrs of the faith was a man by the name of Polycarp who in the second century was a bishop and was being persecuted for his faith and they were getting ready to kill him. And they were going to burn him alive. And uh, as they were getting ready to start the fire, they looked to him and they said, if you would just deny Christ, we will set you free. And his response was this, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Consistency. And God has proved faithful through all of that time. And last of all is this. Consistency provides a platform for God to reveal himself to a lost world. Consistency, it provides a platform for God to reveal himself to a lost world. I think this is what God's looking for in every one of our lives, is for us to be that platform that he can use so that he can reveal himself to a lost and a dying world. You know, David was not delivered for his benefit, but for the fact that the Lord could be manifest to a lost king and a lost world would see the reality and the power of God. This is more than just about Daniel. This is more than just saying, hey, the guy's 85, let's give him a few extra years of life. It was more than that. It was more that by doing this, it gave God an amazing platform to be able to reveal himself and the power that he had to a lost world, to this lost king and to all the people within his reach on there. You know, when you read that, that passage in uh, Hebrews, how we started this whole series, it said that by faith, who through faith, excuse me, stopped the mouths of lions. Who through faith stopped the mouths of lions. It got me thinking, what does that mean? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't Daniel that stopped the, the lions of the mouths, uh, the mouths of the lions, <laughs> It was, uh, it was God. But it was Daniel's consistency of living for the Lord that emboldened his faith. And when the opportunity presented itself, God was given the platform to shut the mouths of lions and to reveal himself in a mighty way. You can be a superhero of faith. Every one of us can be. We have God's spirit that lives within us. And if we will be consistent in our life, living the teachings that Christ has given us, when we do that, we will then become this platform. And we become the platform 
for where God will be able to reveal himself to a lost world. I hope your prayer and my prayer will be, God, use my life as a platform. Use my life as a platform to reveal your reality and your power to others. And if that's going to happen, it means we're going to have consistency in our life and then we'll be emboldened in our faith. Let me ask you to bow your your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we uh, are so thankful this day for individuals in Scripture who who took the, the strong steps of faith and who lived that strong life of consistency. And it's our prayer today that as we... We stop right here on June 8, 2014 and begin to think about our lives. That, Lord, we would look and see, are we being consistent in our walk with you? Could people say about us as what they said about Daniel? And, Lord, you know, if they can't, maybe that's why we're not being used as Daniel was used. And so, Lord, let our prayer be, God, I want you to use me. I want to be in the position to where you've got to shut the mouths of lines. I want my life to be a platform so that others can see the reality and the power of a loving Heavenly Father. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.